0: Hello and welcome to the third season of Life on a Plate, the podcast from Waitrose in which we talk to some very special people about food, what it means to them and the role it has played in their life. We ask about food memories and favourite recipes, must-have ingredients and the dishes that represent comfort, celebration or adventure and find out a lot more about our guests in the process. Hi Alison, how are you doing?
1: I'm alright, thank you. Hello Jimmy,
0: how are you? I'm good, I'm, I'm really good. You're sort of giggling almost already and I think maybe you're laughing to yourself because you've been up to your old tricks and sending me things in the post to try. But I'm really I'm really happy about these, happy about all of them, but particularly happy because you've sent me some biscuits
1: I have. It's time for something sweet. I know you think I just eat vegetable sticks, but, you know, these are biscuits. They're gorgeous coffee and cardamom ones.
0: Do you know what? I've already taken some out of the packet and they smell incredible. Tell me a bit more about these. They're coffee and cardamom shortbread.
1: Inspired by Turkish coffee, you know, they're just gorgeous. You can have them with coffee. They're really short and crumbly, aren't they?
0: Mm, They really are. Oh, my God, sorry, this is so bad. <laughs> I can hear my mum getting cross at me for talking with my mouthful. Sorry, mum. Really, really good.
1: And if you look at them, you've got these lovely little flakes of, of the coffee mm. in, in the biscuit too.
0: Oh, wow. I love a Turkish coffee. It's a really, really neat idea, I think, that you could just kind of bring these out at the end of a meal and it's kind of a twist on, you know, the post-dinner or post-lunch coffees in a really sort of nice way.
1: If it's a hot, sunny day, you know, I have been known to do an ice cream sandwich or vanilla ice cream in the middle and dip it in some dark chocolate if you want. That's
0: a really good idea. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God, Alison, now you're talking.
1: Or even if you smash it up and have it in the bottom of a a cheesecake Mm. instead of a digestive biscuit because you've got then extra yeah.
0: flavours going on in the cheesecake or I'm just you know thinking here you could kind of crumble it on top of some ice cream couldn't you just to kind of have it as almost like some nice crunch and texture like on just like a vanilla ice cream like that would yeah. be
1: really really good what about putting a splash of espresso coffee over the top to make it into an affogato yeah,
0: yeah, yeah make it coffee ice cream and then just you know never sleep I love an affogato and that sounds absolutely next level but uh somebody who doesn't really need much in the way of coffee or added energy is our guest on this podcast and that is hannah cockcroft the incredibly decorated and successful wheelchair racer and paralympian
1: She was really great. She was enthusiastic and just really, she was great to chat to, but she was just so down to earth. Yeah, We could have spent all day just talking.
0: Yeah, it was a really fascinating mix because she's so successful and she's clearly so driven, got such steel, but she really kind of let us in on the journey that she's been on and her beginnings in wheelchair racing. Like, you know, as a teenager, she could kind of get by without her wheelchair at times and she didn't want to use it. And she kind of saw it as this thing that would, point out her difference and she just wanted to be the same. But then when she found wheelchair racing and the ability to to go at speed and this kind of talent that was within her, it just gave her such freedom and purpose and independence. And it was so, it was so amazing to hear her talk about that and that kind of journey that she's been on and is still going on.
1: Yeah, she is. And the, and the way she just takes training so seriously, but it doesn't mean that she's just eating Boring food and chicken and broccoli and vegetables and that. She's just really passionate about cakes and puddings, and it's not a proper. Yeah,
0: dinner. I think we were probably slightly worried, like, oh, what's her food going to be? And she was say, like, you know, it would all be regimented plans yeah. of protein and brown rice, but it absolutely was no, not. It was, was, it. It was but, uh...
1: you know true northern roots. It's not a proper dinner without uh, pudding and or cakes, <laughs> and you know she yeah. really loves a Yorkshire afternoon tea out with her mum and. You know, just just listening to her talk about when she went on Bake Off, she even went and did a bit of training before that by having some lessons to make sure, because she really (laughs) doesn't like failure, does she? (laughs)
0: Yeah, failure to her is like silver and like not breaking numerous records. But yeah, you're right. She's got that real athlete mentality. And it's something that we will see, fingers crossed, when she is competing at the delayed uh, Paralympics in Tokyo. And she also talked about just the emotional process of something that you've been working towards for so long, being put back indefinitely and trying to keep yourself going through lockdown, trying to train and, you know, just keep that kind of spirit and keep that drive going while uh you know while the world had stopped which was which was really fascinating to hear as well so here she is here is our conversation with hannah cockcroft hannah cockcroft thank you so much for joining us it's um amazing to have you here and amazing to have you here fresh from even more success apparently like you've literally just broken some more records i was thinking you're the person that updates your wikipedia or kind of like has to um has to keep track of that must be furious because you've got new personal best and new world records what what happened there
2: yeah it's funny like people always ask me my personal best times and i just I just go. I don't know. I don't know anymore. So I was. <laughs> I've just come back from racing in Switzerland. Switzerland is amazing. It's called the Swiss Series. All the wheelchair racers, pretty much in the world, go out there. It's a Paralympic lineup for every race. It's it's amazing. Obviously, I've got eighteen months of unused training behind me, so uh, that helped. But yeah, I just went out, and you know what? I just really enjoyed myself this year. No pressure, no expectation, yeah. and I. I raced nine times um, over the one, two, four, and eight, yeah. uh, and I broke seven world records. So, and it was <laughs> wow. funny because I was like crossing the line. I think I broke uh, I broke the 800 meter world record like three times, I think. And um, In two I crossed weeks. the line and I kept going like, oh, that time's rubbish. And then they'd go, it's a new world record. And I was like, oh, maybe it wasn't that bad. Like, I don't know what I can do anymore.
0: <laughs> well, well, the reason I mentioned it was because I wanted to know about that emotion and you touched on it there, the 18-month gap, like how hard it must have been to, you know, your entire, all of our years were thrown out of whack, but you especially, like, you know, you're meant to be going the Paralympics that was postponed all that training all that preparation and this big point in your life is suddenly taken away what did it mean to be back on the track in that competitive scenario and how did you cope basically
2: oh you know what I was just so happy like I think I think almost the 8 month break gave me a chance to really rethink what my motivations were you know I'm, I'm not ashamed of saying like for the last, I've been racing 14 years now, the last 14 years, it's been it's been winning. I love to win. I love crossing the <laughs> line first. Like, there's no shame in that. There's no yeah. shame in that. Yeah. And obviously, in the last 18 months, I just, I had none of that. I couldn't mm. go and win a race. So yeah, you I didn't had have to that really, buzz. yeah, I had to find something that kept me going because obviously the, the games were announced as postponed and I'm I'm not ashamed to say I cried. I I was the one in the house that cried I was <laughs> gutted we just got back from uh, a training camp in Australia we'd been out there 2 months I was ready to go I was ready to go and and win some more paralympic gold so to ha- to literally like you say have your whole year just just taken away and it was literally in one headline it was it was really hard and I think every athlete went one of two ways they either said right I'm just going to take this time just to rest and 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 just you know have a bit of a, a bit of time to be me um, and then I went the complete opposite way and was like, right, I've got nothing better to do. I'm just going to train. Complete the train. So we built, uh, we built a gym in the garage.
0: And this is, we should say, your your boyfriend is also a wheelchair racer as well, Nathan.
2: Yeah, Nathan Maguire. Um, he's European champion. So I, I was lucky that I had Nathan there. I think if I'd have been on my own, it would have been a lot different because there was a lot of mornings where you woke up and you went, you know what? What is the point? You know, every news story is saying the games aren't going to go ahead ever. It's it, it's saying that the world's not going to go back to normal. When you're reading that every day, you're just looking at it and thinking, oh, why, why am I bothering? Yeah, how yeah, to stay yeah. motivated?
0: And it's your life. Like you know, for for other people, it's kind of a news item and an interesting kind of topic of the day. But yeah, for you, it's kind of your entire life.
2: Yeah, it's it's literally the thing that I've I've dedicated myself to since I was. 15 years old, so it's, it's everything for me. And slowly over lockdown, I just slowly managed to to change my motivation. So now it was just, well, what can I do? What can I do better today? You know, mm. can I lift a little heavier in the gym? Can I hit a new top speed on the road that we trained on? Um, what could it be? And I think, I think now that's completely changed the way that I race.
0: Your attitude was to just double down on training and sort of commit yourself even more and not give yourself a break. Did that extend to food?
2: So people have this idea that elite athletes just, they just eat like salads and healthy stuff, chicken. Steamed chicken, broccoli. I'm not that athlete. I'm not that athlete.
0: (laughs) Oh, amazing. (laughs) Brilliant
2: I I don't really limit what I eat. So what I ate wasn't, it it didn't change necessarily. I have always just, if I want to eat it, then, then I'll just eat it to be fair. But I have tried, I really tried to be more, just to learn more about about nutrition in general Mm. you know what my body needs after what session um you know I I I really tried to learn about that so it's a work in progress let's put it like that (laughs) um but I think yeah my eating didn't change if anything it got better which I feel like a lot of people can't say but generally just because of time I was at home you know I am the athlete that I'm always on the road to the training camp, to a competition, to a training session, whatever it is, I live in my car. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean I, I live on takeaways, but I live out of like sandwich boxes and, and what's quick and easy to eat and then what's what's quick and easy to just throw on when I get home. And I'm really lucky Nathan, Nathan does all the cooking in our house. Oh. I hate cooking.
0: Oh. <laughs> so
2: what, what type of things does he cook? What do you want? He loves oh, wow. cooking. So it's literally like, what do you want today? Um, The only thing I don't eat is fish. So yeah, he's very creative. He loves to just put things in a pan and see how it comes out, which sometimes is great, sometimes isn't great. (laughs) And I guess when you cook like that, it's quite hard to have the same meal twice. Yeah, but that's quite nice. Like you, you don't get bored. You're not like, oh, we're having this again. You know, like that one meal that when you were young and your mum made the same thing every night because she'd been at work all day. <laughs> we don't have that.
0: <laughs> was that the case for you then growing up? And you say that you don't like cooking. Obviously, you did some baking on the uh, bake-off.
2: And you did quite well in that. Uh, well, I'll tell you a secret, I had lessons.
0: <laughs> <laughs> An exclusive. Uh, what was it like back home then when you were growing up? Like, What sort of things were you eating?
2: So mum mom did all the cooking growing up. Um, she was amazing i again i was a child that did a different hobby or a different after school every single <laughs> okay. night so literally it was getting from school right you've got swimming class tonight you've got brownies you've got choir you've got violin lessons like wh- whatever it is it was just get something down here. so i'm I'm from yorkshire so i had a very northern diet growing up amazing you know, meat and veg uh, shepherd's pie spag bol spag spaghetti is my favorite my favorite meal if you Put that in front of me every day. I'm a happy. I'm a happy girl. Um, and and dessert. Apparently, apparently, a lot of people don't have dessert every night, but I always have. Always this have is, dessert every yeah, night. Yeah,
0: just like every single evening. Like there's always a dessert. It's kind of it's got yeah, to
2: happen. I think it's it's something it, that was my dad's influence. My dad has a very sweet tooth, but yeah,
1: like every day, my mom had either baked. Or made a pie, or we'd have as pudding or custard, or proper homemade puddings, not kind of angel delights or anything like that. Yeah, no, no, like homemade pudding. Um, and yeah. I, only when I met Nathan did I real did I find out that that's not normal. <laughs> <laughs> not a normal. Thing. Which way have you gone? Do, has do you have puddings every night now with Nathan, or do... not every night but most nights? <laughs> mm. <laughs> a meal's not finished if you haven't had pudding.
2: <laughs> Do you have a particular favourite? Oh, uh, I love cake. Any kind of cake, I love cake. Now, Nave's, Nave's not a baker, so if I want cake, I have to make it. Which is that why you had lessons before the baker? Yeah, like my mom. Um, I used to bake a lot with my mom growing up. <laughs> but when you when you've got like one person, when you've got Paul Hollywood judging you, yeah, like yeah, yeah. that that's scary i was so scared like he'd come over i remember one part in the wake-off he came over and he went so hannah why are you doing that and i was like because it's written on my sheet i don't know
1: um
2: it's like i feel like it's if i went up to i don't know if i put one of you in a racing chair and i went why are you doing that you'd be like i don't know because that's that's what it looks like you do i don't know just doing it
0: just to take us back slightly you were talking there about all the clubs that you did when you were like growing up and sort of um being active and staying busy in that way i read a fantastic piece that you wrote for glorious sport which was like beautifully written like really moving about your whole journey and how you found your way to wheelchair racing and kind of actually learning to embrace the chair as something that you didn't want to kind of hide from like what was that kind of journey like and that moment where you had that breakthrough and first discovering racing and that you had this incredible ability?
2: I guess it all starts kind of at the beginning. I had two heart attacks when I was born. So Mm. that left me with multiple areas of brain damage and then like damaged nerve endings, which then as I grew, left me with deformed feet, deformed legs and and having to use a wheelchair. And doctors told my mom and dad that I would never walk. And there was a potential that I'd never talk, which is something I wish was true every single day. (laughs) Um, But here I am. Um, And you know what? Mom and dad are amazing people. They like, they took this on board and they said, you know what, like, we'll just see what she can do. We're not going to wrap her in bubble wrap. We're just going to let her do whatever she says. So I t- took my th- my first steps at uh, three years old. Um, uh, and, and yeah, I went to mainstream schools. I've got two brothers. Um, I've got an older brother and a younger brother. So yeah. literally okay. just followed my older brother around, much yeah. to his disgust. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone <laughs> knew that I was Josh's sister. And, um, yeah, I went to mainstream schools. And, you know, I had a, I had a great childhood, I had an amazing childhood. I was never treated any different. I was never bullied. Um, the only thing I couldn't do was sport. You know, PE for me was, it was sitting in the library, it was doing homework, it was reading a book. It was never getting involved. And I don't I don't blame the schools for that. You know, I don't blame my school or my teachers. It was a lack of education. It was yeah, of yeah, it's isn't it? Yeah. it? It's everything like that. But mm. because I was surrounded by able-bodied people, I just, I, I didn't want to use my wheelchair. I hated the wheelchair growing up because it, it made me feel different. And I realise obviously now how much easier it would have made my life. But at the time in my head, I was like, I want to look like everybody else. I, yeah, want, to, course, I want to do what everyone else does. So, yeah, yeah I, um, I walked everywhere. My, my wheelchair just sat in a cupboard and I ate a lot growing up. Like I tell Nathan my lunchbox now and he's like, where, where did you put all that? And I'm like, but, <laughs> because I literally was burning like all oh, those calories. Yeah, like a person with cerebral palsy burns more energy than an able-bodied person
0: so you needed to like fuel yourself from like you I, know, that I early ate age lot. yeah
2: <laughs> <laughs> i eat a lot and um yeah i had to change that but i first saw parisport uh, when i was 12 years old um the local wheelchair basketball team came into my school to do a demo uh up until that point i'd never met another disabled person Um, I had no idea what the Paralympics were. I lived in a very able-bodied world, which is not a bad thing. And I just saw these guys in these wheelchairs that looked so different to mine. You know, I was, I was in a NHS massive clunky thing that I couldn't push myself. I wasn't strong enough to push it. And these guys came in and they could wheelie, and they were just so agile and it was amazing. I just immediately knew that that that's what I wanted to do. So they came in, they did the demo that night. My dad. Walked me to the coach's house and said, like, what does she need to do to join? And that was it. I played for the Cardinals for the next six years. Um and the club were amazing. They just they just every time a new sport came up, they were like, Do you want to give it a go? Like, we'll just take you to this day and you can try it. So I tried wheelchair tennis, I tried wheelchair rugby. (laughs) And then yeah, I tried wheelchair racing when I was fifteen. And I think I'd always been I loved basketball. I absolutely adored it, but I was the only girl.
1: right Right.
2: so at at, you know 12 13 14 it's hard being surrounded by men and then going home and and only having my mom you know and and then my brothers as well hanging around so when I went to racing it was like it was it was just me whatever happened it was just me and I had independence for the first time Mm. and I had freedom Mm. ultimately that is my overriding feeling when I'm in the race chair I have freedom to go as fast as I want to, to do everything and show what my body can actually do and and not depend on other people to either help me win. So, you know, throwing the ball and getting the baskets and whatever it might be. But also, like, not to help me do the sport. You know, I, I don't need help to get in my chair. I can get in and I can go and that's me. And it's it's complete freedom. And that's that's really what drew me to the sport. That's what made me kind of fall in love with it.
0: You mentioned about not knowing any other disabled people when you were younger and sort of that lack of representation and seeing other people in the position that you were in excelling and living their lives and being independent. And it does seem like, you know, 2012, which was like your real bursting onto the scene as a, as an athlete. That was a real tipping point in terms of, you know, with the general public and, the superhumans campaign but I've seen you talk about the flip side of that which is that maybe there's a pressure to like excel you know get on with it and kind of you know not sort of let anything get in your way kind of thing is that something that you do you feel like we've we've moved on from that in terms of putting pressure on on people that that have disabilities
2: I think it's it's really funny to be honest obviously I was I was part of the superhuman campaign I was at London 2012 and at the time, all I saw was, was positives. I, I thought it was the most amazing thing. And it was only when I came away and, and spoke to people. um, During London 2012, disabled people were pushing or walking down the street. And people were calling them benefit scroungers. And, oh, and, oh you need to go and get a job. You, you should be at the Paralympics. And it, it blew my mind because... We don't look at every able boy person and go, oh, excuse me, why are you not racing <laughs> yeah. me? <home?"> but suddenly, <laughs> every wheelchair user had to go and race against David Weir or myself. Everyone had to be an elite athlete. And the thing is, like, the, the disabled people that you see at the Paralympic Games, we are very able disabled people. Like, we, we've we just found a way to do what we love. But it doesn't mean that everyone wants to be sporty. We're still people. We're still exactly the same as anybody else, and it, it's just been so interesting to kind of watch people's attitudes towards disabled people change in a way that I thought was for for better and and was a good thing. But it's amazing how people's how how different people experience that attitude change and how it's not actually been that positive for everybody.
0: No, but I think you talking about that experience and sort of trying to bring that nuance to the. To the understanding of disabled people and like their lives is is a really valuable thing and a really good thing that um that yeah the conversation can move on a little bit and not just heat pressure on people.
2: Yeah, it's it's, it's a very strange expectation, but mm. hopefully now where we're, we're getting to the point where I am an elite athlete, not every disabled person is, and that's okay. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Um, how did you find the whole scrutiny and the? The, the kind of excitement but the kind of rocketing fame of that kind of post 2012 period it's a strange thing to go through like how did you find it and who kind of you know kept you sort of sane through that time
2: oh, yeah, i loved it um since i was young i i always had this thing that i was like anything to be famous i just want to be famous <laughs> <laughs> i i got that 11 2012 and was it was It was amazing, but it was so odd. And I feel like I only really remember the positives of it. But I remember, so when you're in the village, um, there's there's like no TVs, there's no, you're not allowed your phone, there's no newspapers, there's no no Facebook and things like that. So kind of first games, my first games, we were like, oh, it's cool, but no one's really watching. Like there's (laughs) 8,000 people in the stadium and that's it. And I remember the day after my last race, myself and Johnny Peacock, um, who won the T44 men's hundred? We were like, let's go shopping because we were right <laughs> next to the Westfield, and we've been told like no one's allowed in the Westfield until they finish competing. So. And your accreditation got you amazing discount. So I was like, I'm going shopping. Um, <laughs> so off we went and we were offered like bodyguards and all this stuff. And we wow. were like, oh, no, no one will know who we are. I'll Get over I, it. It's I, fine. How wrong were you? <laughs> oh, and I remember just going into like, I don't know, some news, news agents somewhere. And there was literally like myself or Johnny or Dave. We were on the front of everything, every newspaper, every magazine. Mm. And we were like, oh okay (laughs) we'll be fine this is fine um and we just kept we went out into shops and we probably got into about four shops in about five hours every time we stepped to move people were like oh my god look who it is and we were like oh people know who we are now you were famous like you wanted yeah so obviously came home and Oh, like, it was amazing. I came home and my town in Halifax did, like, a homecoming for me. And you've got two Royal Mail letterboxes painted gold for you, haven't you? did, yeah, both, yeah, ones, like, 100 metres away from mum and dad's house. Oh,
0: amazing. Do they repaint them? Are they in good nick? Have you been checking them?
2: They're in really good condition, yeah. (laughs) Um, And they've got, like, a little plaque by them so that people know that it's yours. They know who won that one. Um, So, yeah, like, literally... my life changed overnight and I loved it.
0: You embraced the whirlwind, as it was. Oh,
2: massively, <laughs> almost too much because it it got to a point where my coach was like, right, okay, now Hannah, nah, come on. You you're an athlete. You actually have to do some work. So, he was probably the one that kind of kept my feet on the ground and was like, come on. If you want to if you want to be famous, you have to keep doing
0: the work. So, Yeah, the thing that's made you famous.
2: Yeah, yeah finding yeah. that balance was it was really difficult for me. And you know, I was 20 years old, so being 20 and and being invited to do things that you just never expected you would get the opportunity to do is is massive so yeah he was uh pretty strict with me yeah (laughs) yeah.
0: (laughs) so was it mainly your coach that was kind of pushing you on because you also talked about 2018 as being a really definitive year for you because you were doing some presenting work for the first time was it country? Uh, country
2: file yeah, yeah country
0: file yes which again as you've said was a real sort of dream of yours and you were enjoying that media side of it but it seemed as though maybe things kind of slightly got out of whack in terms of the balance
1: yeah
2: so I found at various points in my career that you you really have to get the balance right I went to university in 20 like 20 back into 2013 I started I just wanted that experience. I went to study journalism and media.
0: Yeah. So after all that, after all the whirlwind of 2012, you still went to university. That's really great.
2: So my 2012 coach was, was massive on education and, and, you know, the fact that being an athlete doesn't last forever. What's next? You, you constantly have to prepare for what is next. Um, and I've always kind of, always kept that in the back of my mind. Like this will end. Um, so he was massive on that, and unfortunately, um, I stopped working with that coach in, after 2012. So 2013 got a new coach. I went to university. Um, unfortunately, I dropped out after my second year because I, I just couldn't find the balance. I lost my first race ever um, after seven years undefeated. I lost my first race in 2015, and it was just a massive wake-up call. Like I just kept thinking, this doesn't last forever. Like I need to make the most of this this career. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, I put my head down. And I dropped out of uni, unfortunately, and, and, and yeah, went to Rio and obviously did well there. And then, uh, yeah, 2018 was kind of the next time it it reared. It's like a little head this balancing. I got the chance to present for Country file That's my dream job. It's my absolute dream job.
0: What is it about it? Is it just that you love the show?
1: Well,
2: I'm a, I'm a countryside girl. I was, I was brought up in, in the countryside, so it's it's kind of where i love love to be and oh, it's the most watched show in britain isn't it yeah, so yeah. you can't say no <laughs> to that and you know what i think the countryside is not where you expect to see a wheelchair user mm-hmm. so i mm-hmm. loved having the opportunity to to again put that representation out there and show people um that people people can do anything that they want you know as long as it's within what they can manage uh, and country were amazing with me. Like I did the most incredible, incredible things. I herded Highland Cattle across the beach <laughs> in the Alta Hebrides. It's wow. Amazing. I uh I was a gamekeeper for a day. I went on dolphin observation. Like just just things that I could never have dreamt Bucket of. Bucket list and, yeah.
0: kind of yeah. stuff.
2: Yeah. And just having that experience in front of a camera as well was massive for me. So yeah, kind of said yes to that. Um then I had a shocking season. So. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, no. But this is to your very high standards, isn't it? You know, you say a shocking season and it was only, you know, set against the incredible sort of unparalleled success that you'd had before. Yeah,
2: the right? shocking <laughs> season for me, yeah. <clears throat> I lost my hundred meter world record, which, which was the kicker. That was the one that hurt. Um but yeah, I got two silver medals as well, which is not to my standard. So, <laughs> so that was not yeah. a good year.
0: Again, your yeah, your shocking year is silver medals. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> sure, lots of people would take those.
2: <laughs> I'm sure they would, but it was a massive wake up call that you know what, if you want to be the best in the world, you you can't you can't half heart it. You can't be complacent about it. It has to be a hundred percent of what you've got to give, and and that's what you see whenever any athlete lines up on that line. They've they've put a hundred percent of themselves yes. into it, and I think I was proof that if you don't, then can't you happen. don't get the win. You can't yeah. have both. And yeah. I'm so glad; like I will never ever regret what my decision. I'm so glad that I did trial. It was incredible, and I'm hopeful that it'll be there again one day when all this ends, and I can go back and I give that a hundred percent of me as well.
1: But yeah, you have to decide what you what you want to do ultimately. Mm. I've always wondered. Where do athletes keep all their gold medals? I mean, you've got such a stash of <laughs> medals. Do you have any favourites out on display? No, they're just in boxes at my mum and dad's house. Um, they're not even at my house, they're at my mum and dad's house. Um, I think I have one in a drawer somewhere here. Does that help just keep you grounded to carry on going on for the next rather than keep looking back? Yeah, a little bit. And you know what, the medals, not, the medals are not that important the wins
2: are the important thing the medals are amazing and, and they're so nice to to share with other people you know to take into schools and to show kids and go look what you can get if you work really hard but mm. actually for me the important part was that I went there and I did that I did that and I remember every moment of that so holding the medal is it's just like yeah it's nice but it, it's just there and it's it's just something I got yeah whereas what what I really wanted was the victory.
0: You've mentioned a few times about traveling, and obviously before all this, you know, before it was complicated by the last sort of eighteen months or so, it was a big part of of your your life as an athlete. What was your eating like around that time? Like, were you going out to dinners? Were you embracing that?
2: Yeah, I like I like to eat whatever's there. To be honest, <laughs> it's funny when we're. When we're away, when we're on competitions, it's all quite controlled. So um, you you know you eat as a team in the team dining room, and um, and that's that's kind of it. Like competition yeah. time is not the time to be trying yeah, new things. Yeah, 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 it yeah. doesn't agree Absolutely with.
0: Absolutely not. Yeah, that'd be a disaster.
2: <laughs> yeah, real. 2016, I, I lived on spaghetti bolognese. That's all I ate <laughs> every day for the whole of the Paralympic Games. Is that because there's a lot of pasta in there? No, it it was literally just because it was like, right, what in this dining room do I know? And the, am I am I happy to just commit to eating? So my nutritionist was like, "There's there's so much there's so much distraction in the dining room at a Paralympic Games. You know, you've got uh, McDonald's on tap. You've got like." <laughs> You go in the dining room and it's all sectioned off into different countries. So you can go to like Italy and get pizza or pasta. You can go Mm. to GB and get a roast dinner. You can go to India and get a curry. Twenty four hours a day. What do you want? You can have any of it at any time.
1: Um,
2: <laughs> wow. that, that is a massive stumbling block for a lot of athletes because they get in there and they go, oh my God, I want to come here for breakfast. <laughs> no, like, you can't do that. So you have to be really strict with yourself and just some, me and my nutritionist just said like, spirit villain is what i have at home. That's what I'm going to have. Like, it's good. It's safe. If I'm not having that, then go and get a chicken wrap or go and get like, I don't know, a chili and rice. Go and get meals that you know work for you and, just, just don't look at the rest of it until you're finished. You have to be so, so disciplined when you go there because there's just temptation everywhere.
0: <laughs> we kind of touched on it, but how have you found it as a female para-athlete as well? And like, are there kind of other things that you feel, because obviously you've got that instant comparison with Nathan, things that maybe you've had to deal with that he hasn't or different perceptions. Is that something that you've kind of noticed throughout your career as well?
2: Definitely kind of at the beginning when I, people didn't know who I was, I still get it now where people go, oh, oh Hannibal's beat you all the time. And I'm like, well, no, I don't. And then they're like, oh, well, h- why does he beat you? He's only a European champion your you parent champion. And I'm like, because he's a boy. So, and he's a completely different class. Like I, the T-34, so brain damage athlete, Nathan's a T-54, which is a spinal damage athlete. So like, you wouldn't ever expect, I don't know, Alison Felix to beat Usain Bolt, but suddenly you're going, oh, well, why are you not beating him? Uh, because scientifically, it's it's probably, I'm not saying it's impossible. I keep trying, but yeah, just yeah. not quite there yet. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, like uh, a big one for me after London was, there were more comments on Twitter about, uh, I had really bad acne growing up. I really struggled with my skin. Mm. Yeah. And I thought that I'd cleared it up quite well going into London. But there were more comments about my skin and my acne on Twitter than there were about the fact that I just won two gold medals for my country. So
0: crazy, yes. yeah, it's horrible. Yeah.
2: And Nathan's never, you know, I've, I've pretty much known him since the start of his career and he's never had anyone comment on, on what it looks like. And at the time it was almost like, why does it matter what my skin looks like? But people were so personal about it. They were so like, oh, well, she mustn't eat very well because look at her skin. She mustn't sleep. She must drink loads because look at her skin. Oh, she can't be an athlete. And it was like, "Mm, no, no, no. But again, at 20 years old, that gets in your head. That's, That's a hard thing to go through. Yeah,
1: yeah tell us more about your relationship with your coach
2: yeah my coach is called jenny jenny banks my coach is my coach i don't know it's it's almost like would you call your boss your friend she knows that ultimately i'm her boss her her job depends on what i'm doing but obviously i look up to her and and i i seek her guidance constantly so it's 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 not it's it's not a friend relationship it's Sometimes you're best mates and sometimes you hate each other. (laughs) It really depends on what day it is uh, and what session she's set. But yeah, so my coach lives in Loughborough. um, So I see her kind of once a week, once every two weeks. Um, I don't train with her every day. Um, And our relationship has changed a lot kind of over the, oh, we've been working together eight years now. So it's changed a lot over that time. Um, I was, I, I, Kind of started working with her just after London 2012, so okay. um, I was 20 years old. Yes. I was mm. young and naive, and my life had <laughs> just completely changed. So it's taken a lot for her to kind of reel me in, and we've had to go through a lot of things together. You know, I've, I've had to go through my events changing. So London 2012, I raced the one, 100, 200, and then every kind of every Paralympic Games, the uh, International Paralympic Committee decide what events each classification is going to have. So then we move to the 100, 400, 800 for Rio, and then I'll have the 100, 800 in Tokyo. So it's a lot of back and forth. Like, training's got to change a lot to to go from pushing a 100, 200 to being able to win an 800. And at times, we've we've not really agreed on how to do that, (laughs) um, as you can imagine. But, yeah, she looks after me. She looks out for me. She's the first person I ring when there's a problem. She's probably the person I probably speak to the most. Uh, probably drive on mad <laughs>
0: <laughs> what's what's the mindset and preparation for Tokyo then like you know after so long and such kind of limbo about whether the games would even go ahead and having to cope through that time of just kind of being dangling and focusing on training now you know that it is coming what's the kind of what stage you are and how do you kind of prepare and go into it what's going to be different
2: um so Obviously, this game is going to be totally different. Either of the other ones that I've done, you know, we we keep getting these things called playbooks. So it's basically like a set of rules for the games. We've never really had to have them before, but it's like literally COVID testing constantly, social distancing. Um, there will be no team flight cut in, so we'll fly in before our event and then be flown out straight after we've competed. Um. No family and friends, obviously, there's no international spectators. So it's it's gonna be completely different. But ultimately, you know, I'm I'm a lot older, a lot wiser than I was for my first game. So I've I've been to world championships without my family and friends before. I've I've done it all on my own. Um not in a way like, oh, they're never there, but I've done I've done competitions where they haven't been there to watch. So I'm kinda of just viewing these games as we're looking that this is going ahead and you just, you just gotta deal with it. Everyone yeah, is in the yeah. same boat. Like, everyone's on the same track. And I keep seeing things all over the place like, oh, it's not fair. Like, America have had access to tracks and, you know, they've had more than we've had. And you know what? Like, that, that sport, you know, look at some of my, my competitors from less well off countries. And they might not have access to a track of video. The they definitely don't have a, a, a performance institute. so you don't hear them going, "Oh, well, it's not fair. She's got a better chair." Da, da, da. You know, we're we're all there, and we're lucky to be there. So I'm I'm kind of just looking at it like, I can't wait to get out there. I get to travel, and no one else does, and um, I get to go and and represent my country, which is a massive privilege. So I'm just I'm just looking forward to it. You know, I've I've done this work year in year
1: out. It it doesn't have to be any different. So carry on as as what I know. I'm I'm always curious to find out, as a question I kind of ask everyone, do you have any ingredient that you always have in your store cupboard? Just any type of pasta. I love pasta. So
2: I mean if you asked Nathan, it'd be like all these spices and and fancy (laughs) stuff, but mine's like pasta because you can literally just put tomato sauce and off. (laughs) Okay. Kitchen grill, tea or coffee. Neither, hot chocolate.
1: I don't wow. drink either. Wow. am <laughs> wow. not a true Yorkshire girl. No! Hot chocolate, fruit or veg? Oh, um, oh, Can I have both? Um, Maybe fruit. Oh, yeah. Because
2: I it's like smoothie.
1: I like, I have, yeah, probably fruit. Fruit. I think we already know the answer to this one. Starter or pudding? Oh, pudding! <laughs> <laughs> In fact, would you have three course puddings given the choice? if i got the choice yeah of I would <laughs> definitely i'm like a little hobbit i'll
2: have like 20 meals a day if you give me the chance <laughs> <That's> brilliant <laughs> mash or chips oh where's it from
1: <laughs> oh, Wow.
0: Needs, needs more detail tell us <laughs> how much butter is in the mash
2: <laughs> yeah well if it's lumpy mash i'll go for the chips but if it's like higher mash that's that's mash. mash it depends. what you are having it with. Like if you're going chippy, then be chips, chips because just banging. But <laughs>
1: I had asked that. Well, it, it circumstantial. And do the, do, do the chips matter? Do you have? You are they? You know, chunky chips or thin? Mm, I would prefer a, like a chunkier
2: chip. Okay, a bit fish and, more and chip. Plate, a but, fish and chip chop. Chip. Yeah, I, I would prefer that, but I wouldn't turn down a French fry. Cool. <laughs> fried or poached art poached definitely nathan's just learned how to do that so every day it's like what do you want breakfast i won't
1: i won't learn to do it myself but you can make (laughs) (laughs) uh bacon or or smoked salmon or bacon i don't eat fish so of course yeah (laughs) Yeah, yeah. i love i love bacon anyway so so that's fine a restaurant meal or a sofa supper
2: restaurant meal yeah, I like, I like the opportunity, I'm an athlete, you know, I live in lycra and training kit, I like the opportunity to put on, like, normal people clothes and <laughs> and go out and have a nice meal and, and, yeah. Butter or olive oil? Oh, I don't know, probably olive oil, maybe. It depends oh. on what you're making, making doesn't it? I feel like Nathan would use olive oil more, so mm. that. you'd go for olive oil.
0: I thought you might go butter there. Surprising.
2: Well, I've I've not seen him uh, cook with butter. So, <laughs> <laughs> what about crisps or
1: chocolate?
2: Oh, that's <laughs> horrible. Um, well, I used to have a bag of crisps every single day through school. I loved crisps, and then you know they're the worst things for you. Like they are absolutely loaded in saturated fat. So right, oh, they're delicious. Yeah. They, they are they, they are amazing, but they are terrible for you. So. What, cho- what chocolate are you offering? <laughs> you
0: really want to know the details, don't you? I, you need, the, I need to know. This is me. You know,
2: you know when you're getting a meal deal. This is me, oh, like, yeah, whoa, yeah. What, what,
1: what have they got on offer? <laughs> <laughs> but it's crisps occasionally and chocolate crisps more. Crisps
2: occasionally, but you if you your me like, um, mm, either fruit and nut like Dairy Milk or
1: um, a Whisper Gold? Oh, I've had one good. of them. I've had one of them for years. Need to give it a go. Um, a baguette or sourdough. Oh, what am I eating with it? <laughs> <laughs> I like a sourdough if I'm having like
2: punched eggs and bacon. But a baguette's always nice. I'm obviously just driven through France to get back from Switzerland. Yeah. You know when you stop at the services, you get a fresh baguette, you get some ham, mm. you make a little picnic in the car. That's banging. But at at home in England, it would be a sourdough. But when would you're it? abroad, it'd be a baguette.
1: Good. i always think i always think the, te- the the real test is what comes home whole from the supermarket whether it's a whole sourdough or a whole baguette and i don't think i've ever managed to bring a baguette home without without started eating it in the car yeah,
0: they are yeah. nice they Got are a nice a bit but, off the end yeah they are For the nice journey I,
2: yeah i bet no one's ever been this indecisive i've been like oh give me more detail
0: <laughs> yeah but, uh, i was gonna say yeah it's, it's normally quick fire
2: Sorry,
0: I'll be quicker. No, it's great. I'm only joking.
2: That was the last question. I I
0: know what you mean, though. I'm totally with you, Hannah. There's so many permutations, aren't there? It's. I I think that. I think what we've learned is that you really love all things and all food, and that means I'm not
2: fussy. I'm not fussy.
0: You are absolutely (laughs) the perfect guest, and uh, certainly are. You've been. You've been great. Uh, Thank you so much your time, for just sharing so much about what it's like to be somebody who's achieved so much um, in such extraordinary circumstances. And you're so down to earth. You've been such a laugh. It's been a total pleasure talking to you. So uh, thanks for joining us.
2: Thank you very much. And good luck.
0: And yes, good luck. Bring home the gold and then just shove it in a drawer. <laughs> well,
1: why <laughs> <fine laughs> <not. laughs> enjoy the win <laughs> thank you
2: <laughs>
0: bye you've been listening to life on a plate from waitrose i'm jimmy famarewa thank you to my co-host Alison O'Keefe, and our guest hannah cockcroft if you've enjoyed this conversation you can find lots more like it by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts to learn more about the series go to waitrose.com forward slash podcast